from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. Oops, you did it again. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, this episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, an SAP and Acumatica Gold partner, Stellar One Consulting. If your business is ready to move off of QuickBooks, Zoho, Udo, or some other antiquated solution like that, Excel Sheets, give us a ring. Help us automate your business processes so that way your people, instead of filling out a spreadsheet, they could be driving revenue for your business. Go to StellarOneConsulting.com, StellarOne.io, or just reach out to me. I work there. I'll talk to you all soon. Now let's get back to today's episode, okay? We're going to be chatting. I'm so excited about this because we are chatting with one of the pioneers in the cybersecurity reporting industry, a person who nearly single-handedly built this field. And it's such an honor to speak with her. And I think you're going to love this, especially if you're techie like me. So who do we have today? None other than Deb Radcliffe. Deb Radcliffe is an award-winning investigative journalist, industry analyst, and influencer in the cybersecurity market and white hat hacking communities. She has worked for and published in outlets like CSO Online, SC Magazine, and spent years at the Sands Institute where she advised cybersecurity vendors while building and managing sales for a multi-million dollar content program. Now drawing for her deep connections and vast knowledge of the hacker community, she brings a strong storytelling style to a thrilling tale of this unseen world in her Breaking Backbones Hacker Trilogy. I am telling you, I don't have the book. Usually I wait to publish these episodes until I have the book to show them to you. One's on its way, but this this interview is just so good. I needed to get it out right away, and I think it'll blow your mind. You will love it. So I'm going to shut up. Let's bring Deb right on in here. Business strategy. Deb, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became shark bait. Right on. I live in Maui, so that's actually pretty common. Uh, Oh, there you go. There, you- <laughs> Yeah, it is pretty common. I guess it would be. So we have a tradition on the show. Very first question we ask every single guest. What's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How did you get there? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes dead, dead. Well, I am what I like to consider the first cybercrime reporter to make this an actual feat starting in 1995. When I researched a best-selling book about Kevin Mitnick while he was on the run from the FBI, for those of you who don't know, he's the iconic hacker who brought hacking into the mainstream. And unfortunately, he just passed too young about three or four months ago, which is rather sad. Um, he was actually getting to a happy life. His first wife, his first wife in the book series I did. Uh, cheated on him with his best friend. And then he finally just got married about a year and a half ago. And then he died like a year and a half later. So it was kind of sad. 
But um, Kevin is, was a voice for all of us. He worked at a company called Know Before, where he was an evangelist warning people about social engineering, which was his big deal back in the 90s. Um, so after I did that, I realized that this thing called the internet was going to be everywhere, and these business uh owners and large businesses were going to be directly connected. I started with dial-up modems. So uh, that was interesting. I started pounding on the doors of all the magazines saying, hey, uh, this internet thing's going to be in your readers' offices really soon. So finally, this old magazine called Byte, which no longer exists, said, why don't you do a story on firewalls? I'm a general assignment journalism major. I got my journalism degree uh, while I was married and having three kids. So I had to call a company called Microsoft and say, what's a firewall? Wait, who are they? Right. It was a brand new company at the time, right? It was a long time ago. Um, and so that was just the beginning. When that article published, I knew what Kevin Mitnick and his friends could do, regardless of what everyone said a firewall could do. And I knew how they could get around and through a firewall. So when that article was done, the FBI called me, their brand new cyber field office, and said, we need to use this to train our new cyber agents. Do we have your permission? And I said, absolutely. But where were you when I was hanging out in Santa Monica trying to get comment on Kevin Mitnick? And they're like, gotta go. Bye. And they hung up. So it was a pretty funny and scary time for me. I also ended up leaving a husband and I had three little kids. And so uh, diagnosed with a disease that was supposed to kill me in four years and running into this business all at the same time. And I haven't looked back. Uh, it's almost 30 years now. Wow, that is crazy. You had a lot on your plate and you're still here alive and kicking it. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. I still have the condition. They're saying I live the longest in the books at Kaiser. They went back and looked at records and I'm the longest living person with this condition in their medical database. Wow. Do you mind? I mean, I, I, mean, I know these things could be personal people, but you brought it up. I mean, what condition is it? Do you mind sharing about that or? Yeah, it's something you're going to be the first one to hear this on a radio show because it's something I don't normally share because I'm afraid it's going to lower my opportunities to get work. And I think that's why some people don't share this stuff. It isn't so much that I feel embarrassed by it. It's more about career. Will this kill my career or not? But I'm getting old enough to not care anymore about that. So it's a blood and bone marrow cancer. It's called myeloid dysplastic syndrome. And I've stayed in the syndrome stage for all this time instead of going into myeloid dysplastic uh, leukemia. So I've done really well. Um, I, you know, I have an oncologist, a hematologist, and a general prac, and everybody keeps a really good eye on me here at Kaiser. So I feel like I'm in good hands. Plus, I live in Maui, which really makes you want to stay alive. So, <laughs> and I do what I love, this cybercrime reporting career. Yeah, that is totally awesome. And I love that you're in cyber, you know, crime reporting just because, I mean, I work in the IT world. I see ransomware, even with me selling ERP for Stellar One Consulting. Um, you know, if some employee messes up, this is as secure. I mean, you can't make servers dummy proofs. I mean, and you can easily get ransomware on there. And I've seen it wreak havoc on systems um, or I've heard stories about it in the industry. Uh, so it, it's really cool having somebody like you coming on there. Now, we, we kind of heard about how you got into your cyber crime reporting, which uh, probably deserves its own episode in and of itself. 
But what were some of your aha moments during that time period? Or even just during the last 30 years, what were some of those aha moments you've had? Right. So um, I remember having an editor accusing me of hyperbole. And I'm like, but here's a dot matrix printout that shows how to load the Trojan horse. And so the things that I predicted and got accused of overblowing back in the olden days are worse than I thought they would be. Now I'm considered a thought leader. I do a lot of public speaking around cybersecurity issues. I like to speak to, I write a free column in a local magazine here for old people to help them stay safe online. And I still speak to the business audience and the CISO audience in particular. The ahas are, that it's taken this long for serious government intervention on the side of the CISA being formed through the White House, that's the uh, Center for Internet Security. I forget what the A stands for, but it's a very, um, it's pushing- Agency. Agency, yeah, there you go. And <laughs> there go. Um, they're pushing software security which should have been done in the olden days when Microsoft was coming on the scene and I was screaming, don't buy Microsoft, Unix is hardened, stay with Unix. And of course, with the small businesses especially, which is your area of expertise, Microsoft really appealed to a lot of different people. The Windows operating system was so easy and it became ubiquitous so fast, but most of the hacking classes I took were all against Microsoft applications and null sessions and everything else. So I was, I'm surprised that it's taken almost 30 years since I got into this for software to be recognized as the major culprit. The other thing that used to annoy the daylights out of me was all the cyber people, all the technologists, they come in and they complain about the average Joe. The average Joe being the small business owner, the average Joe being a person who just starts to try banking online and everybody in between. Well, they shouldn't be on the internet. And I go, do you hear yourselves? Like, can you protect your enterprise 100% bulletproof? Uh, no. Well, then how do you expect a small business or a consumer person to protect themselves. It's like sheep to the slaughter, I tried to tell them. You need to stop criticizing these people because your whole business model is putting these people on the internet and you need to start protecting these people. And I still have a strong heart for the individual and the small business who aren't getting the protections that they deserve and require. And the CISA is actually saying, we shouldn't have to pay extra for security. If you are building software that we're going to use everywhere, we shouldn't have to pay for IDS, firewalls, you know, security information event management, uh, cloud protection, what all the layers that we call layered security today. The CISA wants that to be embedded in the software products themselves, which I doubt we're going to see in my life. Yeah, no, they they definitely should. I, I do kind of feel that they maybe have taken a couple steps in the right direction, but I do agree that they have not gone far enough. And, uh, you know, I don't really get into politics in the show, but I think one of the main culprits of this is the government itself. And it's inability to act on this specific issue i mean you have companies like google and microsoft being hacked by foreign entities all the time and you know they have to have their own units kind of defending a lot of times against those uh you know 
hackers and and whether it's a foreign entity or a foreign group or a state-sponsored group or whatever it may be. And I, I think that that is a little bit insane in a way. Like I think as a nation, we don't take it we 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 don't take it serious enough as a country, I believe. We don't, but the European Union does. You know, they've done a lot of work over there. If we could just emulate some of the stuff they're doing, and that would help a lot. Yeah. So let's go back to the topic you're just talking about with the small businesses and the layered protection and all that stuff. How well protected do you think that the small businesses are, the SMBs, small, medium-sized businesses, or you can call them SMEs, uh, small, medium enterprises? Um, how well, you know, how good are they protected today versus how they were when you started this journey? Well, because we have a lot of cloud-based technologies now where you can spin up rather quickly as an SMB, um, I think that there's more protections embedded and available through those mechanisms. So I think in some ways the SMBs have more options. It used to be that everything trickled down from high level, huge enterprises down to eventually the small business. I remember being on Semantics case, why are you not providing the same protection to home users and small businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So these large, every new security startup that wants to solve an issue wants to hit the Fortune 1000. And then, oh, maybe five years later, if their solution is successful, they may dial it down and scale it down to fit the smaller business. That's been the model going forward for a long time. But now with these cloud-based, completely internet-based companies, like there's financial businesses that can spin up with all the tools in place to get started, including security. Uh, there's new ways to borrow money online. At, for instance, um, I've interviewed some of those folks, they're telling us, telling me that the enterprise security like Palo Alto Networks, which sort of hands a hand in everything, um, isn't being used by the their organizations that are what we call internet first businesses as opposed to brick and mortar businesses. So I think in some ways that's improving for the small business, but as new issues come up and the Googles and the Microsofts of the world are pushing artificial intelligence, we have a whole new wave of problems coming at us. Yes, they're going to be great business enablers, and they're probably going to really help small businesses. At the same time, what are the guidelines? What are the guardrails? What are the ethics? You know, people can jailbreak them. It's a new form of shadow IT. You could be a medium-sized business not knowing that six different business units are using an AI program that hasn't been approved by the uh, IT security organization or even been made aware of these shadow IT AI programs. So there's so much secretive technology out there that we have no idea. I mean, if you look, okay, again, not a political show, but we're, you know, this is where we cross into it. Look at the, the, the past couple elections we've had as far as the bot farms, the troll farms pushing out because so many people are in echo chambers, I think anymore with who they surround themselves with. And then you have, uh, you know, foreign entities, sometimes even 
uh, entities within our own country that are using these bot farms, uh, AI bot farms, stuff like that, and posing people and getting people all riled up on both sides of the table. And like, it is something that is, I think, sowing chaos into our into our country. I mean, if, if you look at that, that's a perfect example. And again, I try to do that as most apolitically as possible. Uh, you know, so I hope I, I hope I'm okay with what I said. I agree with that 100%. Now throw AI into the mix, generative AI, images and audio, which I've already reported on before ChatGPT blew up. I had a case where a Binance executive was deep faked on Zoom video calls. It started on a fake LinkedIn site, pulled clients into these fake Zoom calls with questions, answers, interactive dialogue, base, everything, trying to get these uh, investors to make uh, shady investments in other Bitcoin. That happened with Joe Rogan. I mean, uh, Joe Rogan has it on his show where there was a company out there that was using basically, I believe it was a generative AI uh, platform to mock his voice and using him to pitch a product. Uh, and that was all over his show. And it was, you know, like, it, it, he's like, how do you stop? If I remember correctly, he's like, how do you stop this? Like, you, you just can't stop this. I don't, I, I listen to him a lot. You know, he is uh, the godfather of podcasts in my mind. But, uh, you know, when I can't listen to full episodes, I do listen to clips. And when I see something like that clip, because that is a clip I believe I did watch on YouTube versus to his show on Spotify, that's where it's like, holy cow, you know, like this stuff is real. Now, imagine if something gets out and it's viral and it's the president of the United States, you know, doing something and some other country, you know, gets it and sees it first. And they think that this is an actual security. I mean, like this is it, it, it like it blows my mind of all the things that can happen from fake scams like you were talking about, fake product pitches like with Joe Rogan to national security uh, concerns that can happen. Right. Well, for example, when I wrote that article it was about the time that fakes came out of the Russian president being arrested. And it was all fake. And it went in the mainstream news in Russia. Like, it wasn't just on the internet. So the other danger is how many times do you pick up your news feed and it's about a, a post on Twitter? It's about a this. It's, so people are taking this stuff off the internet and putting it in real news feeds and that just is going to complicate the matter. I am so sick of seeing news articles where it's like, oh, look, look at uh, this, uh, uh, you know, this from TikTok or this from from X, I guess it is not Twitter anymore. It's X now. Uh, this from X or this from Facebook or this from there. And they're taking a social media posts, which may or may not even be true, and posting that with all the reactions to it. And it's like, really, there is nothing else in the world this author could be writing about that is of more importance or actually legit. And yeah, no retractions or anything like that. Mm -mm. Lazy and lacking research. Those are the things that I was trained to do. So when I was speaking at West Point many years ago, I brought my 16-year-old daughter with me. It was an amazing trip. Uh, the faculty asked me in the engineering department, why would I read your articles when I can read anything I want on the internet? And this was like the year 2000. And I said, two words, sir. I said, quality control. 
And they're like, what does that mean? And I go, I fact check. If I don't get three people saying the same thing, it's not going in the article, end of story, uh, blah, blah, blah. I have editors that go back and fact check with me and we put out responsible journalism. I do my research, I correlate and I report. And that kind of journalism feels like it's almost dead now. Yes, I'm not a huge fan uh, of that, you know, of journalism in its current state on any form. And that's why, really, I don't listen to any media. If I do, it's somebody like Breaking Points with Sagar and Crystal, who I trust way more than I would, you know, the New York uh, Times or the New York Post. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, I, I would rather have somebody like Sagar and Crystal on YouTube. Uh, shout out to them. They have an amazing show and doing some good things. Um, but I'll listen to them or even, you know, Joe Rogan's more right half the time than I think uh, most mainstream media outlets are. So it's it's the the integrity with that. I mean, we're down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but it is it is true. And that's where I, I, I think that the fact that you still do those, um, you know, those principles as far as fact checking, making sure that you have at least three solid people, bona fide, you know, that can really back up what you're putting in an article or it won't be out there. That's what journalism should be. And I really wish, I don't think it's just a problem in the United States. I think it's a, it's a global problem and it's brought on by clicks, you know, it's, this click-based algorithm stuff that we have going on that is really, uh, I think, changing the way that our, our media operates. The words people use with Mike style is veteran, comma, and old school, comma. Uh, <laughs> it shouldn't be old school. It should be standard. Right. That's my opinion. So let's uh, change topics here. Let's, uh, as most people can see, I have for the first time ever, I've got sent, I've got sent two, but I've never have been sent three books, all three books in one trilogy, all signed by the award-winning author herself. Okay. I have all three books, The Breaking Backbones. I don't know if I have them in order because I have not read them yet. You do. The front one is the first one. The middle one is the second one. That's about an AI. Those are supposed to be daisy chains, but I'm not real thrilled with the cover on the, the middle one. And then the last one is uh, the one with the big green earth is the final book. Okay, okay. So thank you, first off, for sending them to me. Thank you again for signing up to me because I told I, I tell all my guests, you want to pitch a book, go ahead, pitch me the book, but please uh, make sure you sign it if you're going to send me the book. Uh, you know, so thank you again for sending those out. Please support Deb because it's hard to make money selling book these days. So if you love what she's saying, um, you know, this show, we don't do sales pitches, but this is a sales pitch. Go out, buy one of her books, get it. Uh, I assume you can get it on Audible, right? You can get it on Audible, except for the third book. It takes a while for Audible to be uh, created after the third book publishes, but the first two are on Audible. The last one just published in August, so it should be out on Audible in about four months. Okay, I am going to, uh, even though you've sent me these for free, I will still purchase the Audible version because I'm an audiobook person. Uh, I listen to it, uh, you know, background noise, drive in all that stuff. And that's usually where I uh, learn about things, you know, whether it's a sales book, whether it's uh, like I just did some books on theta healing and stuff like that. 
Um, so I'm going to listen to your first two books and then eventually when the third book comes out, uh, hopefully it has a landing page and I can put it on a wish list for when it is released. Oh yeah. Uh, that's a good idea. I, well, I have, it's all on Amazon. It's all on, um, you know, Goodreads. It's all on Apple book. Do you read the books yourself or do you have a professional, uh, voiceover? Oh, a professional for sure. Her name is Joanna and I love her so much. She, she tracked me down on um, LinkedIn because my publisher sort of keeps us apart from the people who are doing the audio and she promotes my books for me she's currently promoting the third book because she says now recording you know and then she puts a picture of my book up and she's great because she does a lot of French she's from French Canada and there's a lot of French words in here because in book two and book three more action is taking place in uh, near Paris so she is great and I've actually had her on my own show called Psybeat on ITSP magazine and uh, I talked about voice acting in the internet age and she was very illuminating and the one the takeaway I had was there's as much competition for voice acting and voiceover as there is for Hollywood screen uh, movies and and series oh yeah definitely so let's talk about okay we have the books here we just gave you an amazing plug for the books but Tell us what, uh, why did you write your cyber thrilly thriller series? Like, what was the motivation behind it? Um, and why did you, because these are fiction books as compared to nonfiction, why did you, considering that you're a journalist and all the cases you've covered, why did you choose doing the fiction instead of nonfiction rap? It's interesting because when I tried to do nonfiction, it was actually more extreme than the fiction. Um, no one was buying that it was real. Um, but the truth is, I had these characters. Cindy Frank was going to be a defense forensics investigator in the cyber division. She was going to go off grid because she did not want to take a human chip implant. And then it turned out she was pregnant with a, a spy's baby. So she certainly wasn't. She wasn't telling anybody at the office. She certainly wasn't going to chip her baby without the baby's permission or knowledge. And they were being chipped at birth. And Globecom was the company behind the chips. Globecom is being destroyed in here, which is the whole focus of this book. The hackers mount an attack against Globecom. They're going to live off the grid. Well, how are they going to avoid a surveillance society with drones and videos? Now, all of this has been in my head for 20 years. Do you think we're headed towards that, that surveillance society? I mean, are we there yet? We're partway there. In the book, one starts with a drone war in Kamikaze Drones, and it published two years before the Ukraine war started. So um, all this stuff I thought was 20 years out in the future, but it's not. Drones are everywhere. Surveillance drones by the NSA. Are you sure you're just not psychic? It's well, That's what people call me, but most of them call me intuitive because I've covered the cybercrime beat for so long. You can just project out where we're going from there. You can project that right now I'm doing a series on my beat uh, about kinetic warfare in the form of electronic warfare. So drone wars, um, the boats that are being um, automatically sent against Russian naval ships, uh, things like that. I thought we're farther out in the future and they're happening now. And I think we're just at the beginning. The, the US government in two years, they wanna have autonomous fighting machines, boats, drones, and other weapons armed systems to go out and autonomously 
maim and kill targets and they want to beat China at this game. So China's a surveillance society. The UK has been a surveillance society for a long time. That's actually a really good point because I think a lot of people kind of, you see it on TV shows all the time, but I don't really think when you talk uh, surveillance society, okay, people don't really, they, they'll talk about China, but they forget places like the UK where it totally is as well too. And I mean, I could be wrong with that, but from what I've seen, news, TV shows, I mean, they, you know, they're able to track down all that stuff using all their cameras all over the place. And, you know, I think I've seen videos where, you know, like maybe there's a fight or something like that. And I think you hear from the camera, the people being yelled at. I don't know if that was the UK or not, but they're yelling like, like, hey, hey, stop fighting. Get away now, you know, or we're coming or whatever. I've seen things like that. And it's just like, wow, that is crazy. And think about canine bots. Police forces in New York are trying to test them out right now to keep the peace. Now, I don't think they're armed yet, but that's not far down the road. And there's a major, in this book, there's a canine, there's a bunch of canine bots when they're trying to break developers out of a Russian work camp to take possession of an AI that's under development. So the second two books are more focused on an AI. In the first book, Cindy Frank becomes a den mom to hackers in the Blue Ridge Mountain, and she switches her name to Psy, uh, short for Scianthia. That's why I call my ITSP show the Psy Beat, C-Y. Um, and so she um, ends up helping to launch a war against Globecom. It takes 17 years in the making, uh, it, but it starts with the initial assault on Globecom because that's where the book had to start. And then it, and then it has a split narrative because it's got to show what happens when you kill the internet and everything connected to it because all the databases and fact checking and access and authentication went back to Globecom's databases where they destroy. So, and then it showed, you know, um, and then it showed at the end, they're getting a hold of this new AI. And then in book two and book three, the AI becomes the power play. It's going to be more powerful and more controlling than Globecom was. The hackers are using the AI for good, but they know it was built in Russia. They know that it hacks anything to get to the targets it's been pointed to. Then it starts assimilating its own targets affiliated with the original target, which was the main bad guy behind Globecom. So they have this ethical dilemma. It's doing good. It's restoring the earth, okay? It's doing all kinds of good stuff, but all these government agents and criminal syndicates are after the hackers because they want to pop the control of this AI. So they have to decision what to actually do with the AI, whether to let it live or to kill it. And I won't give you any more teasers than that, but that takes you all the way. That's a pretty good teaser for three books right there. That That's pretty, pretty solid. Um, I am very excited to read the books. One of my, I don't know if you know of him or, or have heard of him, but one of my favorite uh, tech authors, and it's crazy because um, he has been kind of like you as far as just predicting technology, you know, years before it comes out and some of this stuff is starting to come out. But uh, Douglas E. Richards, I don't know if you know of him. What are some of his books? I'm writing this. Like Mind's Eye, for example, is one of his books. I helped him out as far as social media goes, like, I don't know, maybe a decade ago. And um, like, because he didn't understand Twitter. He didn't really understand LinkedIn. He didn't really understand Facebook. 
So I'm like, here you go. But because uh, he asked for help on Facebook and, um, you know, we're, we're kind of friends. But uh, I gave him a guide. It was like, yeah, you know, a five, seven page guide. Like, hey, do this. this is how you do this. And, you know, get the word out. Um, and he writes a lot of books. Uh, so he, uh, you know, he loved it. It helped him. I think it helped build his community and his uh, his fanship, shall we say. And as a thank you, out of nowhere, three years later, I get a text message, just so you know, um, tomorrow morning, a new book drops, and I don't want you to be surprised, but as a thank you, um, I, and I've been sitting on this for a couple years, but uh, there's a, a character named after you. You are President David Strausser. Uh, so it was pretty cool that uh, you named me a character in one of his books. I'm only in one chapter, uh, but still, it's, uh, it's better than nothing. You know, yeah, a lot of the characters that I pulled out from my career are in the same boat, but uh, some of them are like lead characters throughout book one. It's uh, main M A N E. He always reminded me of a lion. His uh, hacker handle is really Del Chai, and there's even a, a scene where he's running a rave for the young kids at one of the camps where they're all off grid and uh he's a big man who um, sadly ends up dying in book two but that's del chai del chai is in pretty bad shape but he's still out there being a hacker for all of us and running the disability program for the devcon hacker conference every year in vegas so uh, he knows he's in there. What I did with mine is I didn't surprise anybody. I had everybody read the first book and approve before it went out. But I changed names based on, you know, there's... I was a good guy. So that was a good thing, at least. Well, I had a Hobbit who... Uh, Hobbit was from the Loft Hacking Group. I called him Bilbo. And there's a scene where he's smoking pot. And I wanted to make sure it didn't bother him. I don't know if the guy really smoked pot or not. But, you know, things like that. So... That's cool. That's cool. Feel free to use me anytime. Or Shark Bite Biz. I have to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So let's wrap up with one final question before we start getting into uh, all your books, your show. Those, uh, you know, the the columns and all that stuff one last time. But what advice, if you could give one piece of advice to small businesses, mid-sized businesses out there, number one thing they need to do right now to be prepared for threats in the future, what would it be? Honestly, it's still the low-hanging fruit. So make sure your access controls are really dialed in. If you have a system administrator, don't let us password be admin and don't allow shared administrator passwords across the enterprise. So that's probably the best one. The other one I would say is do not expect your employees to be the front line of defense. Cyber attackers have gotten too sophisticated at social engineering for you expect to expect them to completely be the ones who are going to protect you. Educate them, train them, prepare them, but don't expect that to be all you need to do. Right, right, right. Totally understand. And I think that is solid, solid, solid advice. See, I knew this would be a great interview because I love to, I have a degree in IST, information sciences, technology. So I could talk this stuff all day. That's part of the reason why I sell ERP for a living because I love uh -huh. technology, but I didn't want to be like a programmer or an IT person myself like I wanted to I, like I studied it to be able to sell it and understand it and understand everything that that world engulfs it. right and speak it but also be able to to 
I guess, dumb it down or translate it for non-techie individuals, right? And I love it. I would not change my career choice for anything and being able to have a podcast where you can have guests like you come on. And to me, this is talking shop. This is amazing. This is incredible. I know I'm going to love these books. Tell us once more, where can people get these books? Where can people find out about you? And list, you do a lot of stuff. So list anything that you think is relevant and uh, tell me which link you want. I, I assume you want debradcliffe.com uh, yes. for the main link that people link to. So uh, you can look up at her name.com as the main link and then everything else you want to share. Go ahead, Deb. Sure. So I'm on Amazon. Like I said, just they're playing little games with how to find all three of my books right now. So if you type in the Breaking Backbones Hacker Trilogy by Deb Radcliffe, you should be able to pull all three of them up, but they seem to keep losing book three in that, uh, uh, however their algorithm works. Also, uh, I'm at Archway Publishing. That's my publisher is a division of Simon & Schuster Mm -hmm. and everywhere else. I've also got an ITSP magazine channel You can just search up ITSP magazine and that should pop up. It's a podcast and I do a bunch of other stuff for pay. I'm writing for CSO online. My audience is the chief information security officer there. And I just did a killer story about Joe Sullivan, who was actually almost went to jail for a breach at Uber. And I was the only journalist who got the sit down interview with him after the charges and all the questions. That's a that's amazing. So that was because I was very patient with Joe. I talked to him. I talked the case up, but he could not. Patience is a virtue. Yep. And so anyway, so that kind of stuff. And then I'm also very dialed into the DevSecOps. So I run a, a um, video interview series called Shift Left Academy. I do have that sponsored by Code Secure, which used to be Gramatech. You are so, a very, very busy woman. I, mean, I am, but I'm making hardly any money. It sucks. <laughs> is it with all that you do? Barely yeah. Any, uh, yeah. When I was selling content, technology mm-hmm. content at the Sands Institute, which is the biggest training firm in the U.S. for training and certifications around security mm-hmm. that employers want, um, I was like you. I was really rolling in it. Um, I was selling white. I'm not rolling it. I will be one day. Well, I was for about five years and that was how I was able to save up the money to buy this house in Maui and to put enough money away to retire if I need to. Um, Uh so that's sort of where I'm at in my career path right now. And I'm still pursuing Hollywood because I believe that these series with all the fun, colorful characters based on my background, vigilante, make a great movie, you know, hackers, I think, yeah. Like you say, make a great series. So, um, Jason Bourne thought, 2.0, I can see coming out of this. Right. Except yeah. for this tells the story from the hacker's point of view. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Hackers are the good guys, but they're yeah. not majorly stereotyped either, like Abby on NCIS. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go. That's great. That's great. So, again, I'm sure that you have everything that you listed because I'm sure it's going to be hard for everybody to remember everything but i'm sure it's all on debradcliffe.com as everybody knows that watches the show we will have that link down below in the description deb two things first off thank you again for sending me these books they are amazing i swear as soon as we get off this call i am going to get them on audible and i will start listening to the first book as soon as i finish my existing book it's next to my playlist um, but 
um, also thank you so much for coming on and just helping educate people in technology. I mean, that is really, really gnarly to me. So thank you for the, all that you do with uh, helping small businesses protect themselves from threats that they don't even know exist. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your show too. And oh, I think it's you. very popular on YouTube. So thanks. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Take care. And uh, hopefully we'll be chatting again soon. All right. Aloha. Yeah. Aloha. Cheers. Wow, that was such an amazing interview with Dev, wasn't it? I told you it was going to be incredible. First of all, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button, because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business. Please share us out to your friends, your colleagues, your family, wherever you dwell in the interwebs. I don't care. All I want to see is Deb Radcliffe, Shark Bite Biz out there trending. And then let's get back to the real rock star of the show, Mrs. Deb Radcliffe. So awesome stuff, Deb. I mean, really your history, what you were up against, building this, a pioneer in this industry. It was incredible, and kudos to you for making an actual career out of it and writing your trilogy. I mean, both of those are amazing accomplishments. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your expertise. Please check out her website, DebRadcliffe.com, and also make sure you grab her books off Amazon. I swear you are going to love them, especially if you are love techie thrillers. You're going to love this with all the hacking and stuff like that 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 is inside the books so anyways question of the day how strong are you on cybersecurity? leave a comment down below on youtube uh and also if you want to be on the show interviews at sharkbitebiz.com please remember if you're watching on youtube three dollars a month you can become a baby shark support the channel every dollar that comes in is another dollar that i put out in ads production all that stuff and thank you again to our amazing sponsors stellar one consulting if you're on an antiquated system let's upgrade you let's automate your business let's get your business to break through those bottlenecks that are preventing growth stellar1consulting.com stellar1.io either site both work or you can reach out to me directly david at sharkbitebiz.com and you all know this by now but i'll say it once again i'm david strausser this is sharkbite biz we'll see you all next episode cheers You've just experienced Shark Bite Biz with Dave Strausser. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the show to help us spread the word about personal, professional, and business growth. Want to be on the show? Send an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Special shout out to our sponsor, an SAP and Acumatica Gold Partner Stellar One. Get off QuickBooks, automate businesses' processes and have your business reach the stars. StellarOneConsulting.com or reach out to the show. Till next episode.